This is Mitchell McLam, lead pastor of Sapona Road Church in Fayetteville, North Carolina. We're so excited you found our podcast. Our prayer is that you're blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about Sapona Road Church or would like to give to this ministry, please visit our website at saponaroadchurch.com. We hope you have a great day and enjoy today's message. If you would please turn to uh, your Bibles with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. A couple quick verses I want to read, and then I'm going to move forward. We have been in this discussion of the characters of Christmas, and I told you uh, that we were leading up to this point, leading up to this moment uh, today, where we are looking at the main character of the Christmas story. Uh, I do hope that maybe something in your heart was stirred from last week. Uh, I believe it was. Look at the house today. Amen. Uh, it's been a good good week, and every opportunity that I've had, I'm not going to spoil it for you because you can go back and watch last week's message if you want to. Uh, but we, we talked about John the Baptist, and I kind of felt like the Lord was plugging him into the Christmas story, which was very unique because he's not in any manger scene that you've ever seen. He's not in any, in any nativity scene, uh, but he played a very important role in the Christmas story because he had to pave the way. He had to be the bulldozer to push the junk out of the way so Jesus could minister. Amen? So I want us to look at uh, Jesus today for a few minutes in, in a different light. I'm sorry, uh, but I have a really hard time seeing that uh, little sweet baby Jesus laying in a manger wrapped up in swaddling clothes um, because the things that I've been through in my life, the junk that I've tackled in my life with Jesus by my side wasn't done so by a little baby Jesus wrapped up in swaddling clothes. The Jesus that walked along beside me was a Jesus that was victorious, a Jesus that was full of power, a Jesus that was in, in control of everything in life. Amen? I'm going to preach it whether you want to hear it this morning or not. You can be quiet if you want to. I'm just telling you. You need to be, do, do you need some volume? Mr. Tommy can blow you out the water now if you need to hear that. I'm just telling you. I can't see Jesus laying in a manger as I've walked through my life and I know what he's carried me through. That may have been the entrance into this earth, but that's not the way Jesus walks with me day to day. And so I can't preach this Christmas story to you today with just this image of a sweet baby Jesus laying in a manger with the baby donkey Butch over there and Mary and Joseph sitting side to side just oohing and on over Jesus. I can't do that. I've been sent with a mandate today to tell you about the powerful name of Jesus. Isaiah prophesied in chapter 9, Lord, have mercy. I might preach today. Chapter 9, verse 6 says, For a child is born to us, a son given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. And you thought you had the weight of the world laying on your shoulders. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make it happen. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now we read the Christmas story as recorded in the Gospel of Luke. 
It's, it's the most detailed, it's the most uh, situated, if you will, whatever word you want to put there. We see the, the most explicit detail of the Christmas story in Luke. But I can't look at Luke chapter 2 and find Jesus as the character in Christmas. So I started looking through Luke's gospel, and I start making my way through, and I get to Luke chapter 4, verse 38, and I see where Jesus is. He's healed many people just after he's healed Simon's mother-in-law. He's in the city. He's going through the town, and Simon says, hey, my mother-in-law's sick. She's on her deathbed. She needs some help. And Jesus said, well, that's okay, because I'm the guy that brings help. So he walks in the house. He stands over her, and immediately she's better. And what's interesting is after her healing, she serves. When we've been in the house for a little while and we've, we've sat in the hospital of, of the house of hope in the church, at some point or another, we have to get to the place where we're healed and we step into a place of service. If not, there was no point in your healing. We have to get to a place where when, when this mother-in-law was raised up, it says instantly when she got up. It's in chapter 4, verse, 10, uh, verse 38. It says, Simon Peter's mother-in-law was very sick with a high fever. Please heal her. Everyone begged. Standing at her bedside, he rebuked the fever. It left her, and she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. She went too hard to serve, but that's not Jesus in the Christmas story because we keep on rolling, and in chapter 5, I see where he looked at the first disciples, and he's watching, and he walks out to the lake, and, and there's these guys that are, are they've, they've come in, and they've caught nothing. They're fishermen. They've got nothing. In fact, they've left their boats, and they're all cleaning their nets, which we could preach a whole other sermon about cleaning your nets. If you're cleaning your nets, you're not catching any fish. But they walk up. Jesus actually steps onto the boat, and, and he says, hey, I don't know what's going on here, but you need to go out a little bit deeper. Some of us need to go just a hair deeper to get to the place where the fish are. He says, go a little bit deeper. Go out and cast your nets on the other side. And Peter, being that guy that speaks his mind, I don't know about you, but I know a few of them. He said, nah, Jesus, we already did that. He said, I'm telling you, cast your nets on the other side. And when they dropped their nets, the Bible says that there was so many fish in their nets that they couldn't bring it up. The guys off the shore had to come and help them get the fish in the boat. But that's not Jesus in the Christmas story. It goes on a little further. See, he actually had shown compassion after, in between there, I skipped it. He had compassion for everybody. The Bible says after he healed Simon's mother-in-law, they brought many of people to him. All these people were demon-possessed, need healing. And the Bible says that every one of them he touched was healed, and he touched every one of them. That is a God of compassion. That's not a God that's picky, what you look like, smell like, look like, taste like, whatever it is, where you come from, where you don't come from, how much money. The Bible says that every person they brought before him, he healed, and they, and they were healed. I'm going fast, but I got a lot of ground to cover. You read the Gospel of Luke lately? We go a little bit further, and there's uh, these men, and there's these friends. I, I'm thankful that I believe I've got brothers around me like these guys. Jesus is in a house, and he's healing people. They're, they're, they're having a service, and there's this guy that's paralyzed. And, and he can't make it through. His friends, his buddies, I don't even really know. I've preached this before. Nowhere in the Word of God have I ever seen that the guy had enough faith to actually take himself or to get somebody to take him to the house where Jesus was. The buddies picked him up and take, took, took him. If you don't have some brothers or sisters around you that will pick you up and take you to the house when you're broken, you need new brothers and sisters. If you don't have brothers and sisters around you that you can go crying to when you're broke and messed up and busted up, you need some new brothers and sisters. 
I've got some brothers and sisters, one of them that i got enough confidence, he'll watch this video back tomorrow, although he's got a million other things he could do just because he loves me and wants to pour into my life. You need some brothers and sisters. So they show up, and they, they get to the house. They pick them up and carry it, and there's no way that they can get in. And they say, well, there's no way we can do this. Well, they get this bright idea, kind of like uh, me and Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Justin and some of us guys around here would do. We said, hey, let's put a hole in the roof. Just crazy enough to put a hole in the roof. Forget the fact that, that the homeowner's insurance isn't going to cover you peeling off the roof to drop a guy through it. So they peel back the roof and they lower him down. And what's so cool about this to me, you talk about the power of your brothers and sisters. The Bible says that their faith made him well. When he dropped down in front of Jesus, this is a guy that's paralyzed. He can't move. He's been messed up for a long time. And Jesus looks around and says, wow, because of their faith, he'll be healed. You better make sure you got brothers and sisters around you. But that's not the Jesus of the Christmas story. We go on again and. There's a Sabbath day where a guy's walking around with, with a deformed hand, and everybody religious wants to, to have these major issues with Jesus doing anything on the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day is Jesus' day. In case you didn't know, Jesus could do what he wants to do on his day. So he shows up, and he's in the temple teaching, and it's really awesome to me that, that he's in the temple teaching, and this guy's there with the messed up hand, and he stops in the middle of what he's doing. And this guy's healed. We've got an issue when we can't stop and slow down and have compassion for people in the middle of the moment. I have no problem whatsoever stopping right now if the Holy Spirit would lead us to do something completely different. I'm excited to preach in case you can't tell. But I have no problem putting the mic down and letting the Holy Spirit do the work on his own. He don't need me. And Jesus stops in the middle of the temple. He's teaching, and it stops, and it says that, that he, he looked around at one of them and said to them, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand, and it was restored. The healing took place, but that's not what put Jesus in the Christmas story. In chapter 7, there's a Roman officer, and the Roman officer comes up, and he says, hey, one of my men is, is deathly sick, Jesus. I don't want you to come to my house. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. But I know that if you speak the word, that my man will be healed. I know this because I'm a man of command. I'm a man that when I look at my people and I tell them to do something, they're going to do it. So I know when you speak and the word that comes out of your mouth goes before heaven's angels, they're going to heal and, and the healing will take place. Sure enough, Jesus says, hey, your faith has, is nothing like I've ever seen. It's amazing. In, cha in chapter 7, verse 9, he says, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And when the officers returned, uh, the officer's friend returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. This one's really interesting to me because immediately following, they're walking to, through the town and a funeral procession is taking place. I mean, I ain't never been to a funeral that's full of life. I've been to some celebrations of life. I've been to some powerful worship services at a funeral service. But I've never been to a funeral service where I saw the dead thing come back to life. Have you? If you did, I hope you got it on video. The funeral procession is taking place, and there's this widow lady, and her son is all she had. And Jesus walks to the casket, and he says, hey, raise up. 
and out of the casket family. Do you think your situation's done? You think that problem you got facing you, the deal's already been sealed? It don't get sealed much more than being put in a casket. I mean, sure, you could be put in the vault and put in the ground, but by the time you hit the casket, it's pretty much a done deal, right? You've been before the coroner. You've been before the medical examiner. You've been before the, the embalmer. By that point, it's over. And Jesus walks to the casket, and the boy sits up out of the casket and hops out and starts taking off with Mama. It says the Jesus that just raised the dead. But that's not what put him in the Christmas story. We go on, and in Luke chapter 9, I love this story because this story puts so much of the emphasis not on Jesus but on his disciples. Because like you and I, we don't see the, the impossible. We see a limit, limited a perception of everything, right? So all these people who showed up, they're listening to Jesus teach, and, and, and they say, hey, listen, Jesus, all these people are hungry. You need to send them away. If he'd have sent them away, it would have robbed them from a whole lot. First of all, it would have robbed them from a nice fish and loaves meal. But it would have robbed them from the teaching. It would have robbed them from witnessing the miracle. And you and I sometimes need to slow down and realize that the impossible is possible to make sure we linger just a little longer and let somebody get what they need, right? Spend that extra five minutes when you don't have it crammed in your day to just sit there and listen to somebody talk. That may, Rather than sending them away to go away and get what they need, you might very well have what it is they need that makes the, the pivotal point in their life so that their life is changed. So Jesus says, we ain't sending them away. Feed them. So they find a little boy with five loaves and two fish. And this is the part of the story that I love. Jesus takes it similar to what we did a few minutes ago. He breaks the bread. He prays over it. He blesses it. He blesses the fish, and then he hands it back to the disciples. And he empowers them. Family, you've been empowered to do something great. God has poured out over your life. He's taken what you had, although it was absolutely a McDonald's happy meal kind of meal. He's taken that little bit of nothing, and he's blessed it, and he's poured out on your life, and he's put it back into your hands and empowered you to do something with it. And the Bible says that they organize the people because organization is an amazing thing. You start getting things organized, it's amazing how order comes into play. So they seat the people in groups. And the, the disciples go through and they start handing out. And it's amazing to me. The Bible says in chapter 9, verse 16, Jesus took five loaves, two fish, looked, fish, looked up to heaven, blessed them, then breaking the loaves into pieces. He kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Therefore, when you give all you have, your basket's still full. You with me? Today, we really didn't talk about it a whole lot, but I hope that you sowed your, your sow offering. 
I hope that you, you've been praying about that and you, you poured into that. I was asked this morning where that goes. That remains in the house. That's how we do some of these upgrades. We've got a couple projects coming up. The point is, the disciples took what they had, which was little to nothing. God blessed it. They distributed it and still had a basket full of leftovers. When God puts his blessing on it, there's always going to be some left over for you. I don't care how much you pour out of yourself. I pour myself out a lot. And I'm not saying that in any boastful way. I worry sometimes about me because I pour and I pour and I pour. And I know I have to be poured into. But as long as I'm pouring and I'm pouring and God's blessed what it is that I'm pouring out, there's always, when I think there's not going to be enough, there's always enough left for me. There's always enough grace for me. There's always enough mercy for me. There's always enough forgiveness for me. There's always enough provision for me. There's always healing for me. That's not what put Jesus in the Christmas story, though. We move on, and you can read this. I hope that you will at some point. Jesus goes through this, this teaching, and it's an amazing uh, teaching that Luke records, and he goes through all of this different, different stuff. And we get to a place, in 13 we see him heal again. On a Sabbath day, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. He saw a woman who had been crippled by an evil spirit. She had been bent double for 18 years, was not able to stand straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Dear woman, you're healed of your sickness. That's not what put Jesus in the Christmas story, though. We keep on rolling through, and Jesus pours out this thought process, the parable of the lost sheep. He said if a shepherd's got a hundred sheep and one dumb one strays off and leaves the crowd, that shepherd cares enough about the one, even though he's the one that messed up. I've been the dumb sheep before. But he cared enough about me to leave the 99 other ones to come and get me and pull me back. That's not what put him in the Christmas story, though. We keep on rolling through, and there's 10 people that are healed of leprosy. Jesus continued toward Jerusalem. This is in chapter 17. He, he continued toward Jerusalem. He reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. As he entered the village, 10 lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. I preached this to you several weeks back. We talked about what generosity does, and generosity takes you from a place of distance and brings you to a place of closeness. They stood out at a distance, crying out, Jesus, have mercy. He, he looked at them, and he said, hey, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them realized where the healing come from, turned around and went back and bowed at the feet of Jesus. When we're generous, when we're thankful, we realize where the healing, where the blessing come from. It always brings us closer to Jesus. He once stood at a distance, distance, but because of his heart of gratitude, he's now at the feet of Jesus. That's not what put Jesus in the Christmas story, though. We end up now back at, at, at chapter 18 where we look at Jesus walking down the road uh, and he heals a blind man. Verse 35 says, as Jesus approached Jericho, a blind beggar was sitting beside the road. When he heard the noise of the crowd going past and he said, he asked what was happening. They told Jesus, they told the man that Jesus of Nazareth was going by. So he began shouting, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, the people in front of him yelled, but he only shouted louder. Do not let somebody quiet your praise and your cry. Don't let a situation dampen your voice. You've been given an instrument of praise You've been given an instrument to cry out for help. Don't let anything within you or outside of you dampen that. 
When Jesus heard the man, he stopped. He ordered that the man be brought to him. And as the man came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, I, I want to see. If we could only have the heart to see. Holy Spirit just dropped that in, in my spirit. We see in the physical all the time. Somehow or another you saw to get in here. We're walking into a new year. And many of us, many of us have lost our vision. You see what's around you, but you don't see where you're going. You don't see the possibility of what could be. You don't see the blessings God's poured out on your life. Shame on us. And Jesus said, what do you want? He said, I just want to see. Lord, help us get back to a place where we just want to see. Mm. We might continue that next week. He said, all right, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see. What's awesome is when he received his vision, your Bible says that he followed Jesus praising God. When our, our eyes are clear, when clarity and perception comes, the blinders can be put on from all the other distractions and can be taken off to God's goodness. We can follow Jesus. Man, that's good. That's not what put Jesus in the Christmas story, though. So Jesus enters Jericho in chapter 19, and Luke says that there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. You need some context. You need to understand that the way the chief tax collector becomes rich is by shafting people out of their money. It's not the word I really wanted to use, but it wasn't necessarily appropriate in this, this stance. He was not being nice. He was really messing people over. And he'd become rich. And he must have been a little man of stature. Because there's a song written that you've heard Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. Climbed up in that sycamore tree to see what he could see. Right? We could preach that sermon. How, how much effort are you willing to put in to see Jesus? You're limited by your human ability. You're limited by your human stature. You're limited by your human capability. But if you climb up to a tree, if you go upwards, the only way I know to go up is in my worship. But if I go upwards, I get to a place where I can see Jesus. And everybody else hates this guy. He's the chief tax collector. He's taking money. I know that you ain't got a best friend working for the IRS. Right? They're not typically our buddies. They're just doing their job. But Zacchaeus wasn't even doing that. If you owed five, he would tell you you owed seven, and he'd pay the five, and he'd keep the two for his own personal interest. And of all the people in Jericho, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree, son. I'm going to your house. Me? Yeah, you. 
I must be a guest in your house today. And Zacchaeus, although he was who he was, quickly climbed down and took Jesus into the house with great excitement and joy. The people, though, because people always have a problem. The people start talking junk. He's going to the house of that notorious sinner. If I ever hear that word in this house, you can leave. This is a house slammed full of sinners. And if you think you're good to sit amongst us, I pray that the Holy Spirit deal with you and conviction would take place. Or I'd be happy to give you some names of some other churches. Because what happens when Jesus steps into the house of the sinner is in, chain, is in verse 9, 19, verse 9, Jesus responded, salvation's come to this house today. You know, salvation can't come to a person that's glorified, high and mighty. You've already been saved. You've been saved. Salvation can't come to your house if you've already been saved, right? And if the purpose of us being on this earth is to grow the kingdom of God, how are we going to do that until we put our place, put our put ourselves in a place where sinners are present? Just saying. I'm looking at house of salvation. He said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save that and those who are lost. That's not what put Jesus in the Christmas story. See, Jesus had talked all about the plans, and he made his entry into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. I told you, my Jesus is victorious. My Jesus is one of power, yet he's still humble enough that he tells his disciples in 19 verse 30, he says, go into that village over there. As you enter, you'll see a young donkey tied in there uh, that no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks why are you untying the colt, just say the Lord needs it. The fact that Jesus broke a donkey the minute he sat on it is miraculous in itself. Just saying. This crowd around here that's been on a horse's back understands the power of that. The donkey was right where Jesus said and Skipping down, verse 36 says, As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached a place where the road started uh, down to Mount of Olives, all his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest heaven. But of course, the stinking religious people again. Verse 39, the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. He said, you know what, if they'd have shut up, I'm sorry, I put that word in there. He said, if they'd have stayed quiet, but if they'd have shut up, the stones that I'm walking on would have cried out in my name. You shut up if you want to. That's not what put Jesus in the Christmas story, though. Jesus goes on talking, he's teaching. We wind this thing down a little bit, and talks about the widow's offering, and that's an amazing teaching in itself. Judas, that punk, begins, he agrees to betray Jesus. It's really not fair to call him a punk because you and I would do the same thing and we do the same thing. 
Just being real. Greed takes place. They have the Last Supper. Jesus tells Peter, hey, you're going to deny me. Nah, Jesus, I would never do that. And the guy that he, that, that was, remember, he was cleaning those nets. He was cleaning those nets. Jesus had to look at him and say, get behind me, Satan. Jesus was put on trial before Pilate. He said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you said it. So they decide to crucify Jesus. Before we ever get to this place, though, 30 years prior, roundabout, silence was broken. There was an intertestamental period. That's a fancy word. But if you open your Bible to Matthew and you flip back one page, it says the New Testament. Just before that is Malachi. And from about 430 B.C., that's before Christ, before Christ ever enters into the world, you talk about somebody important changing the course of time. The way we record time changed when that baby hit that, that feed trough. Malachi was a prophet. He prophesied over the people of Israel, over God's salvation, God's restoration. Prophets before him had done the same. But as after, pro- after Malachi's ministry ceased, God was silent. For 400 years, that means that generations had come and gone. People weren't living 900 years. Remember? In Genesis, God had numbered man's years to 120. That means in 400 years, that means you, me, my kids' kids, and maybe even some of their kids had come and gone. Right? And then John the Baptist shows up on the scene, and God's voice is heard again. And the prophecy was, there'll be a boy. You'd call him Emmanuel which means God with us. So Jesus is put on trial. He's found guilty over nothing really of any substance. Pilate says, I want nothing to do with this. Y'all handle it. So they say, we're going to crucify him. We're going to give him the worst death possible. And so they hang him on a cross between two criminals. And hanging on the cross... On his last breaths, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're even doing. You talk about a God of grace, a God of mercy. When I messed up and I don't even realize how bad I messed up, he still looks at me and says, Father, forgive him. He don't even know what he's done, but I'm going to offer forgiveness to him anyway. That's not what put him in the Christmas story, though. He took his last breath. I want to read it to you. It says, The time was about noon, and as darkness fell across the whole land, until three o'clock, the light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands, and with those words he breathed his last breath. When the temple 
the, the sanctuary curtain was ripped in two. The presence of God was no longer separated from the people. It wasn't Jesus laying in a manger named Emmanuel that put him in the Christmas story. It was the moment that he took his last breath and the curtain ripped and the presence of God now was with his people forever. And three days later, early on a Sunday morning, Mary and, and Martha ran to the tomb and they went and they, they, they show up to the stone to be rolled away and an angel sitting by and they were terrified. Where's Jesus? Oh, he's gone. He ain't here. He's raised from the dead. He's not dead. He's alive. He's gone. 120 days later, God sent the Holy Spirit to earth so that you and I now have Emmanuel with us everywhere we go, every moment of every day, in the silent period of life. God sent his son Jesus to die so that the Holy Spirit could come and you and I now could have God with us constantly. That's the Jesus for me that's in the Christmas story. It's not a baby laying in a manger. I love him, sweet little baby Jesus, making dirty diapers just like my youngins did. That's not what put him there. What put Jesus in the Christmas story was the death and the resurrection. That when everything was dead, everything was silent, everything was quiet, generations hadn't heard from Jesus. Generations had not heard from God. He sends heaven to earth and then puts Emmanuel in place. So you and I now no longer have to sit in silence. When the doctor looks at us and tells us, is done when our families are falling apart when there's nothing left in the checking account when your kids have drove you up the stinking wall it probably really stinks because chances are there's poop smeared on it maybe only in my house I don't know Everything in life is silent. You get to a place, God, where are you? I don't see you in any of this. We can't look to the beautiful nativity scene. To find the Jesus that's victorious over the silence. You better look ahead. To the day that he conquered death, hell, and the grave. Why? Because we messed up. Why did God have to send his son? Because he decided to give humankind a free will. Ain't nobody making you do anything. Adam and Eve acted in that free will. They were disobedient. Do you realize how awesome it would have been just to walk in the garden with God? 
not a care in the world. Don't even have to pick your clothes out in the morning. You and I had to have some kind of redemption. Otherwise, we're on our way to hell. Because God is a fair judge. But although he's a fair judge, he's a judge of love and and of mercy. And although he did sentence you and I to death because of obedience and because of sin, he still reworked the plan and found a way to give us a way out. So what put Jesus in Christmas for me was the death and resurrection and the sending of the Holy Spirit. I now have Emmanuel with me. Amen? This worship service today has been intentionally planned for this moment. We did say that if the Holy Spirit took over, so be it. But I believe this point was supposed to come. If you're still looking at Jesus in your Christmas story as the baby laying in a manger, I challenge you today to rethink that. God's giving us He's given us direction. He's given us salvation. And this isn't a Christmas sermon, this is an Easter sermon. Because salvation's come to this house today. The question is can we get to the place where we say, I just want to see? I just want to see Jesus. Father, I've done my very best to deliver this word. I follow the leading of your spirit. God, I've done what I believe was asked of me for this mandate for this time today. Holy Spirit, I've been, I've been the John. I've been the bulldozer, and all I've tried to do is push back the junk. Jesus, work and do what you do. You're here today, and life's been silent. Situations have been silent. You're in this intertestamental period of your life where you don't have a clue where in the world God's at. I'm here to tell you today that Emmanuel is with you. God is with you. God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross to be raised from the dead so that the Holy Spirit could come and be with you. If you've accepted Christ into your life, the Holy Spirit is within you. Therefore, God is with you. Father, I love you, Lord. I thank you, God, for who you are. God, I praise your name. Father, we give you everything that we are. Some of us standing in the room today have been silent. God, the the things of life have put a damper on us. Father, we don't have a clue where you are. Life seems hopeless. It's a mess. It seems out of order. 
We don't see where we're going. We don't know where we're coming from. We don't know where we've been. Father, you're speaking today. And we can rest assured that Emmanuel, God, is with us in the house today. Family, if you're going through, going through something that you need God to move in, a situation that God needs to, to touch, maybe you're not, you just want to, you'd be willing to come and get behind somebody that is. As we all move together to come and join in this altar for a closing prayer, would you come and be with me for a moment? It's Christmas. We're going to celebrate Jesus. Father, we worship you today. God, I praise your name. Father, we give you those silence, the, the silence in our life. We're waiting on you, Lord. Father, I thank you, God, that you're victorious. Jesus, I thank you that you're no longer laid up in a tomb somewhere. You're not dead. God, you're surely alive. And God, by the power of the resurrection, Father, I have the authority. I have the power to speak to the silent situations. I have the power to speak to those things that are tearing life apart. And I declare today, God, I declare at this moment, Father, on December the 22nd, as we celebrate your birth, Father, I pray we take a moment. We celebrate the death, the resurrection, and the giving of the Holy Spirit today. We celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, through every situation. We worship you, Lord. You have no rival, Lord. We worship you, God. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Let's worship the Lord. Yours is the kingdom. Hallelujah. Up What a wonderful name it is. What a powerful name. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. We worship you, Lord. We give it to you, God. Hallelujah. You have no equal. You have no equal. You have no equal. You have no rival. 
church would you give the lord a big shout for a moment we worship you lord we celebrate you today god thank you lord hallelujah hallelujah bless the lord it's a beautiful name whatever the situation Whatever the circumstance, whatever the silence is that's been gripping life, it has no rival and it's no equal to my Jesus. Don't look at Jesus and see him laying in a manger. You look at Jesus victorious sitting at the right hand of the Father receiving prayers on your behalf. <laughs> Father, I pray a blessing over your people today. Father, as we celebrate this week, the, the birth of your son, Jesus, God, we don't belittle that. That was miraculous in itself. It was a fulfillment of prophecy, God, and we're so thankful that you gave us your son. Father, but let us remember throughout this week that it wasn't necessarily the birth. It had to have the, the, he had to have the death and the resurrection to complete the birth. Father, I pray blessings over our families as we go throughout and spend time with family this week. Lord, I pray, God, that you would create opportunities for us to be a John the Baptist. You would create opportunities for us just to push back some junk, some crud in the lives of those around us, Lord, so that you could, uh, you could move in the way that you would want to move, God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you go with us. God, that you would be our Emmanuel, Lord. You're with us regardless of whether we see it or not. But just like O blind Bartimaeus said, Father, open our eyes and let us see the goodness of the Lord. Father, I pray for healing, God. I pray for financial blessing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, God. Those that, that are struggling this Christmas, God. Those that are not with us, Lord, I pray for healing over heartbreak and, and over mourning, God. We celebrate life, though, even in those moments. I thank you, Lord, and I worship you for this beautiful day we've had today. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.